Welcome to Leave Your Mark, where I explore the influences that have shaped the lives of our incredible guests. These are the stories of lives worth talking about. Follow me on Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Pain, or link up with me on my Facebook fan page at Scott G. Livingston. My goal is to create a community of people who take every opportunity to live high-performing lives. Before I get started on today's podcast, I want to take a moment to connect you with my sponsor, ReconditioningHQ.com. Reconditioning is a method and language of integrated practice. It brings the worlds of therapy and conditioning together and helps them become more powerful and more practical. If you live in one or both of these worlds or you use the services of a therapist or conditioning coach, you know that sometimes they don't see eye to eye. They aren't on the same page. Reconditioning provides a time-tested process for aligning these two worlds and creating impactful solutions to performance problems. Follow them at ReconditioningHQ on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, or become a member of their Facebook group, Reconditioning HQ Revolution, and join the Reconditioning Revolution. Hello and welcome to Leave Your Mark. I'm Scott Livingston, and today I have the privilege of speaking with Peter Friesen. Pete is an extremely accomplished performance professional with a background in physical therapy and strength conditioning as his foundation. He is currently the head strength conditioning coach for the United States Women's National Hockey Program. Peter spent 21 years with the Carolina Hurricanes as the team head athletic trainer and strength conditioning coach, and he's been in practice for nearly 40 years. In addition to his work with professional teams, Friesen has been associated with the Canadian Olympic and International programs for the last 30 years, including serving as the head athletic trainer for Canada's gold medal winning team during the 2004 World Championships. And he's also been to 10 IHF World Championships supporting five gold medal victories. Peter has advised many Canadian sports programs, including men's and women's ice hockey, field hockey, soccer, figure skating, softball, wrestling, gymnastics, and volleyball in preparation for their respective tournaments. He's an assistant consulting professor at Duke's School of Physical Therapy and also lectures at several other university programs. Prior to joining the Carolina Hurricanes, Friesen was the head trainer at both the University of Saskatchewan and the University of Alberta and an assistant director of the Glenn Sather Sports Medicine Clinic in Edmonton, Alberta. More importantly, he's been married for 29 years and has three wonderful children of whom he is very proud. And it's my honor to have him on the show today. Welcome, Pete. Thank you. Actually, it's a privilege to be on your show. Uh, I, we go back a long way, so it's a great way to catch up for sure. Yeah, it's a perfect way to catch up. Um, you know, we segue back to where you, you kind of grew up. Uh, and, you know, what was life growing up for you like and sort of how did it influence you as a person now? Well, I'll tell you a joke uh, about the two different types of people that come out of Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. Um, but I won't uh, uh, joke right now, but uh, maybe for uh, another time when we're sharing a pint or two. But uh, I, I was uh, brought up in Prince Albert. In Prince Albert, there's not a lot of things to do, but uh, uh, one thing that uh, that city accelerated was getting the best athletes to uh, uh, play ice hockey. And that was uh, the I never played ice hockey, but uh, uh, it, it was a very popular sport in Prince Albert. And, and with that, uh, you couldn't help but become a fan of that junior hockey team if you're living in Prince Albert. And uh, after I graduated, I had uh, the privilege of uh, joining the Prince Albert Raiders as their uh, head trainer, bus driver, and equipment manager, the whole works. Back then, you did everything. Uh, that was just a step after when the goaltenders did everything. So uh, I got to spend a couple of years uh, with the Prince Albert Raiders. And what attracted me to that uh, sport, again, I wasn't a hockey player, but their work ethic. 
they were the best athletes in Prince Albert, if not, you know, in the province. And, uh, uh, they, they were extremely successful. And with that, I got a lot of mentors in the area of ice hockey. And that's really my career span, span off to being instead of just a bus driver and the equipment manager, I went more into the uh, athletic therapy side of things and also uh, the strength and conditioning and performance side. So uh, that, that's really where I got my roots in, in uh, what I do today. What, um, you know, what role did your parents have in, in sort of your, your interest in sport? Uh, did you, did you play a lot of sports? Did you, so were you kind of a quiet guy and then figured it out because you were attracted to hockey? Or how did all that roll up? And now, uh, to be honest with you, my dad was a, a truck driver. And uh, one thing, my, and my mom was a nurse, but they, they both sort of ran a, a trucking business in, in Prince Albert. One thing I, I learned is that uh, a work ethic from my parents, for sure. And also with that, stimulated my interest in sports because I'd rather, after school, get involved with sports and go and unload trucks until or load trucks for a, a number of hours, either before classes or, or afterwards. So uh, with that, I, I really got involved in, in, uh, in sports as an athlete. And uh, I participate in just about every sport except ice hockey. Uh, ice hockey, even back somewhat expensive uh, for us to participate in. Uh, so, uh, but uh, my parents were very supportive and they were also very supportive of education and, uh, if uh, uh, they could, no one in my family ever went to university before I did. And so, but they were very uh, supportive in all my academic endeavors, as well as supporting me in uh, athletics. And so I uh, gave me some time off from uh, working on that transport, but uh, it was a really enriching uh, life to be brought up in that way. Tell, tell me about that. You're, you know, you, you didn't have um, an example, as you just said, in your parents to go to university. So, what created the yearning in you to actually explore going to higher education, so to speak? Um, you know, I'll tell you something. My, my dad had a great five education, and, uh, but he, he was quite a successful uh, businessman or, or truck driver. Uh, and uh, he always respected people with uh, academics, and so did my mother. And so uh, I think that rubbed off. And uh, you know, uh, my uh, mother always gave me uh, books on a regular basis and she would sign them and write something. It's kind of nice, you know, quote wise or something like that. And even to this day, I carry that tradition on uh, uh, to my kids. Uh, and every Christmas, I, I select a book that I've read, uh, obviously a new copy. And I write something that that was really made that year really distinguishable uh, from previous years and stuff like that. And sort of goal setting and, and things like that. But uh, I think that those two things, you know, uh, my mom's, uh, you know, reading ability or like love of, of literature and also my dad's respect for academics, even though he never got anything past grade five, because that was a different era back then. You actually had, you did, not many people, at least where I came from, went to university. Uh, you actually had to work in order to support the family. And so uh, those things, I think, really influenced me uh, going forward into uh, my academics. So just so I understand, did you start working with Prince Albert before you actually got into university? Or, and so that's what attracted no. you to that education or you had already done oh. some of that stuff? Oh, good point. No, I, I actually went to, uh, uh, I got my education and phys ed degree uh, from Bemidji State uh, in the, the late uh, or 70s. And then when I came back, uh, I couldn't find a teaching job. And so uh, with the connections uh, with the Prince Albert Raiders and the they, 
they because I did was involved in sports a lot on Prince Albert. So uh, the school kind of went out of their way to allow me to be kind of a part time teacher and a full time trainer with the Prince Albert Raiders. And again, back in the early 80s, it was unheard of to have anybody really with academics in that league. Uh, be a, and so I knew how to tape an ankle. So right away, I was better than my predecessor there. But uh, I, I got to be honest, I even learned from my old trainers that, that were with the Prince Albert Raiders prior to me there. But yeah, I finished my phys ed and education degree. Then I went back to Prince Albert, got involved with the Prince Albert Raiders because of the, the legacy they had left me growing up. Uh, you know, how well they, they did, how hard uh, working athletes they were. So uh, I was pretty fortunate to, to get those two part-time gigs uh, in my first part of my career. So your original desire was to, to become a phys ed teacher. Is that what you yep. wanted? Okay. Yep, absolutely. I wanted to be a coach. You know what I mean? And then as you know, like I think you and I have very similar backgrounds and then you start to tinker, right? Uh, and you wanted to know more. And uh, so uh, after my, my involvement with, uh, you know, just being involved in sports as a coach and, and th- when I was a teacher, I coached everything just you now you hear all those stories, but literally I did football, track and field, uh, cross country wrestling and things like that. Uh, and then, uh, there were a lot of coaches or more coaches, but there weren't many people in, in the area of athletic therapy or, or even sports science back then. And so I, I actually saw a need for that and it, and it was my interest. And so I sort of honed my skills more towards that than actually coaching. Did you, so I went yeah, back to school. Like you said, um, back in the, in the early 80s, around that period of time, there weren't a lot of examples that people could look up to sort of to follow a pathway was there anybody in particular that actually was an example for you or a mentor or somebody in your early career that you kind of wow I see him or her and I want to be like them well uh, I guess my earliest mentor uh, was a a great seven phys ed teacher because he was the only first guy that actually probably I, I knew that had a phys ed degree that actually taught me and uh, you know he was kind of interesting because he was actually even back then was talking about periodization and things like that and he really wanted to get some athletes on the national stream uh athletic uh, playing level but um so so he was kind of my first mentor his name was guy palmer and he kind of went back and, and he got a phd and uh, things like that so I, i've kept in touch with him my whole life the other guy that was really instrumental with me getting more into the athletic therapy side of things. I don't know, Scott, if you remember, but his name was Sandy Archer. Mm. Now, Sandy Archer was the, the head trainer for the University of, uh, I'm sorry, the Saskatchewan Rough Riders. Right. And you know us guys in Saskatchewan, we love our Rough Riders. But uh, Sandy Archer, uh, he, he, you know, he he put some VHS tapes out and showing how to tape things and things like that. But, I, you know, I didn't get to go to a lot of CFL games, but I did one time watch him go onto the field and he helped this guy up. And I swear to God, Scotty, he, he actually, this guy had dislocated his uh, shoulder and you can tell, wow, that guy dislocated is a little bit longer than the other side. He actually did this maneuver with a crutch walk. He put the guy, his head under this guy's armpit, reduced the arm. And the guy, by the time he got to the sidelines, had a normal shoulder again. I thought, wow, this guy is really ahead of his time. I know we wouldn't do that now, uh, but anyways, uh, Sandy Archer was probably my, you know, really foremost uh, mentor. And then, you know, Scotty Dunbar, uh, but a lot of the CFL trainers were, were mentors of my uh, growing up as well. Yeah, cool. So you go to, to this hockey team and you're working. When do you flick the switch to go into physical therapy and what drives that for you? Oh, well, <clears throat> again, uh, one, I, I got to work with some great coaches with the Prince Albert Raiders that went to higher levels. Uh, like to the national program, the junior national team. And then I got to uh, 
meet Dave King uh, at the who was at the University of Saskatchewan, and he talked me into going uh, uh, to the University of uh, Saskatchewan. And uh, to be honest, like you know, I always think in my mindset is more education is better than less. And so as, as I finished my education degree, I really wanted to go into athletic therapy, but it wasn't really structured back then. So you had to go in, you know, if you wanted to get some type of formalized training in, in assessment, orthopedics and neurology and stuff like that, you almost had to go into physical therapy. So I, I went into a master's program at the U of S working with Dave King. Now I work with Terry Simpson with Prince Albert Raiders who had a, a good NHL career. And, and then Dave King, I think he's still one of the you know biggest mentors in the NHL uh, or one of them. And uh, I went into a master's program and then uh, killing two birds with one stick. I uh, decided to go into physical therapy as well. Mm. And all the time being involved with sports at the university of Saskatchewan and getting access to, uh, to a lot of national programs. That's awesome. So how did the, um, the opportunity to become, did your opportunity to become the head therapist at USAS come before UA that you were a USAS head guy and then you went to UA? Is that what happened or? Yeah. The, I, um, uh, I was kind of following this uh, footsteps of Chuck Armstrong, and uh, really there was no formal uh, job description or qualifications to become the head trainer at the University of Saskatchewan. And so I had trained pretty much every sport, just volunteered uh, to do that throughout my master's and uh, physical therapy degrees. And uh, I kind of just walked into that head uh, training job, just maybe a process of elimination or nobody else wanted it. Uh, so. so um, yeah, that's true because Chuck went on to a very successful career, a lucrative career in private practice here in Saskatoon. And uh, I, I still just love being involved with, with sports and especially the work ethic and especially the sports science application of that and the prevention of injuries. And so I, I did that for uh, uh, a number of years. And then uh, uh, just from that, uh, uh, the Glenn Sather, which was a pretty prominent sports medicine clinic at the time you know it was run by Dave Reed and uh, Dave McGee those guys are kind of legends out here in western Canada uh, it was an opportunity to move into their clinic and, and to learn from those people and I jumped at that and uh, pretty much the first day I went into the Glen Sather sports medicine clinic the head trainer at the time Nancy Jetty had blown out her back or uh, I think she had a disc prolapse or something that, that uh, they asked me immediately to help out with being the, the head trainer as well as the therapist at the Glen Sather. And it was sort of a no brainer for me because that's exactly what I was doing at the U of S, but a lot more potential to develop as a, as a, in sports medicine. So mm -hmm. that's how I ended up from the university of Saskatchewan moved over to university of Alberta. And tell me about working under those two guys. I mean, they are, like you said, legends. What, what were a couple of the biggest um, takeaways or, or learning ops you had with those guys that really maybe changed you or made you see things from a different perspective, having, you know, tutored under those two guys. You know, I think uh, starting with Dave Reed, because he's still, uh, I still fall, you know, run into him now and again uh, at hockey games and stuff like that. But uh, that guy had such a depth of knowledge that I'd never seen before because he was actually a physical therapist. He was actually a, a, a I think a, a Olympic lifter or power lifter. Then he was a, a physical therapist. Then he went into orthopedic surgery. And not only that, he was a great instructor, a tremendous uh, uh, teacher. Like he could take some very complex topics, break it down so even I could understand. And also he was one of the, with his background that I just stated, he also was the first guy that sort of, you know, uh, 
taught me about regional interdependence and how important that was. Because a lot of times you ask an orthopedic surgeon, they only look what's under their scope or under their knife. They don't really care, you know, what, what the first is doing to the glute or anything like that but uh, uh, he, he was very uh, thoughtful or knowledgeable about that regional interdependence I said you know as today we're starting to find out that that is really uh, an important factor when you're treating athletes uh, with Dave McGee one of the things I can tell you a lot of stories about Dave McGee uh, one of them it wouldn't pass right now it wouldn't fly but he used to tr- uh, treat all the Oilers like at 5 30 in the morning or some ridiculous time every morning that Oilers would have to come from where they were in Edmonton, drive over to the U of A and get treated uh, by him. And so I thought, wow, that's pretty, you know, dedicated. But then I also, you know, you got to be pretty hurt to get up in these cold days and, and get your ass over to the U of A uh, to get treatment. So uh, I learned, uh, you know, sometimes that's a good thing, uh, you know, that biopsychosocial approach uh, that uh, it would sure you know, separate the, the, the fake injuries from the real ones. But most importantly, what I learned from D- Dave McGee is the basics. Like that guy, he's probably one of the most noted physical therapists throughout the United States, Canada, maybe the world. But uh, his assessments, he never left out any detail, always the basics. And you can know that all the special tests for the shoulders, but if he didn't know how to apply them or, or didn't do the basic stuff, you know, he would get on your case pretty quickly that you didn't do those basic things first and foremost and well. So I think that those are the two biggest things I learned from those two people besides, you know, many other things. But those are ones that spilled over to other learning that I picked up from them. That's awesome. So you spent in, to- in total how many years at Sask and Alberta as a head, head guy? Uh, I, I, th- I think it was 10 years at the University of Saskatchewan and five years at, at the uh, uh, University of Alberta, total of 15 years in Canadian colleges. Wow. And so what started to instigate your interest to, to get into the National Hockey League or to pursue, like you had obviously already started to do some national team work and maybe you can spin into right. what, what that sort of influenced in you. And then how did this opportunity to get involved in the NHL come along? Well, at that time, I was going to pretty much every junior world tournament, uh, uh, well, a lot of them. I had a, developed a really strong relationship with the Canadian Hockey Association and uh, got to meet a lot of great coaches. You know, I mean, a lot of great management people and things like that. And then through my experience, and then now from the U of S to the U of A, I got to meet a lot of national team coaches, like in soccer and figure skating and things like that. And so uh, volleyball and so um, I was pretty happy at the University of Alberta. I was training, you know, I had a group of people that I trained every summer, you know, the hardest working athletes. I'm t- not kidding you, uh, uh, I think anyways. And uh, I had my own little following there and, and I had agents, you know, sending me their athletes. And, uh, and so that spilled off because all my college athletes wanted me to work out with them because they saw these, you know, big professional athletes coming in and training with me. So the, there was sort of a, you know, a, a, a an aura about it uh, sort of thing. But uh, I was extremely happy. The only thing is I was traveling probably about 175,000 miles a year. And, uh, you know, which brings some perks, right? So I, like I got to go into all those nice places in the airports where you could sit back and, you know, fly first class all the time. But uh, apparently my wife didn't really enjoy that as much for the family thing. So uh, uh, I had actually a few offers in the NHL, but my job, my 
honestly, uh, you know, they say the limbic system is what, where you find your true passion and stuff. That where my true passion was was working with athletes, not, not like ones that worked hard for you. That's what really got me excited, and I was extremely pleased and happy with my area at the U of A. They, you know, they had really nice facilities compared to the U of S. Now they're probably pretty similar, but uh, uh, she talked me into taking an offer because the other offers uh, from the NHL they were good. I don't know why, but when the offer came from Hartford, uh, I, I went there just to, to try it out as a a consultant. And then the following year, when they went, moved down to Carolina, they offered me the full-time job and my wife said, let's take it. And so I went from traveling about 175,000 miles a year to about 60 or 70,000 miles. Uh, so I got to spend more time. If you can figure this out, more time, with my family in the NHL than I did when I was in Canada. So, and, uh, and it's turned out well, but I, I think I would have been, hey, you know, I, I think personally, I, I'm a kind of guy that I'm happy wherever I am. You know, well, I, I remember I was pleased as heck when I got the chance to go up and, and mentor you, uh, follow around for a week or two uh, in Montreal. And uh, but I was happy there, living on your couch, and I was happy at the U of A, happy at the U of S too. But I always kind of ch- went on to the area that I could see per- see more development, getting better. Very so that's how. It um, I'm interested, uh, it's a bit of a segue, we'll come back to the NHL thing in a bit, but you and I actually first met kind of on the speaker tour back in the uh, oh. 90s at a couple of different yeah. fitness conferences, and you were doing a lot of teaching. And I'm wondering, you know, when you went into the NHL, when I went into the NHL, I had to sort of give up a lot of that and have a lot of time for it, and you probably did as well. Did you miss the uh, that that sort of interaction with the crowd, teaching, uh, presenting, um, when you when you got more uh, into uh, professional hockey, uh, no, no, but I, I was able to keep my, my roots. Like I worked really hard to to uh, get so I could teach at, at you know mostly physical therapy schools, and I don't know why, but uh, I, I started lecturing, uh, and now I still lecture at about seven different uh, PT schools in, in around as far up as uh, University of Connecticut, and then Duke and UNC. There's a lot of university close by, so. I always got a challenge to do that. And then taking from your lead, I started putting on a, a one-day course, you know, a sports sem- uh, a, a seminar, which tried to expose the, the best uh, sports medicine minds in the area where I lived in Raleigh and North Carolina. So um, I've always tr- had access to, to, and then in the summertime, uh, when I moved down in the States, anyways, I got involved with Perform Better uh, for a, a number of years. And so I still always got to, and you know, when you're in the NHL, these, that gives you a platform to, you know, spring off to actually do a lot of lecturing, you know, privately at schools, you know, whether it's high schools or, or universities or uh, uh, just even, you know, health fairs and stuff. So I've always kept active in that area. That's cool. So let's uh, circle back to this lovely wife of yours who I've actually never physically met in my life with you, knowing you all these years. But I'm curious, you know, you guys have been married for 29 years. Um, you, you self-admit that you're probably a workaholic to a degree. So how did you guys manage? Uh, you know, you, you had three kids. Um, obviously, your wife is a, is a, is a special person. But, uh, you know, wh- how did you guys make that work? What's your secret to, to creating a great relationship? And I'm sure you've had your, your struggles and your moments. But talk about that. Yeah. Yeah, my wife is, a, a, you know, like, as you know, like, it's got to be a team uh, because, you know, 
not once did she ever say, you know, that dad was away, you know, he, you know, he should be at home here and stuff like that. Uh, she, she was always supportive and she, you know, she made sure that the kids were supportive uh, in all my endeavors because I, you know, you're right. Like the NH, that, that was more of a problem, especially the first two years that we moved down to Carolina. Um, I spent the first year, there was less than 30 days I spent in my own bed <coughs> in the first year of the NHL there because it was a terrible move great learning experience, but terrible move. But, uh, my wife also was an athlete at the university of Saskatchewan. Uh, she was a volleyball player and she, and she, her, her family was always involved in sports. So she kind of knew, uh, of this whole thing, uh, you know, about being in sports and, and the life of a trainer, because, you know, our lives as a trainer, you know, it's not just the game time you're there from first thing in the morning till maybe 12 o'clock at night. Uh, on game days and stuff like that. So uh, she, she was, uh, but she, I, I'll tell you something, she ran it. Like uh, she, we knew our roles in the family uh, and pretty much whatever she said, family wise or health wise, health, you know, uh, uh, the house or whatever, what was best for the kid. You know, she, we'd always talk about it, but she ran that. She, she kept that foundation solid. And I can tell you right now, and we both know that it's very difficult to raise kids anywhere, but especially when your dad's gone as much as a person is in our line of work uh, sort of thing. So uh, uh, yeah, just hats off to her. She, she, but uh, she's a pretty strong woman, pretty independent woman, and also knows what it takes uh, to work in professional sports or to, to become a great athlete uh, because she'd been around it a lot. Cool. Yeah. So, so tell me about when, how and when, you know, because I know you've always had an interest in, like me, in strength and conditioning. And you started out sort of as an athletic trainer, and then you had this kind of shift. And when you went in the NHL, you really took on those two roles. And, uh, you know, they're big roles uh, individually. And to sort of do them at the lead position, I'm curious, one, when did you sort of make that shift and how and why? And then two, how did you juggle the two worlds uh, in sort of as a primary guy in both, in a sense, with, with Carolina? Uh, well, I, I, uh, when I was in, in Hartford for, uh, I was the head trainer at the university of Alberta and I just flew in seven to 10 days every month to, to consult as their strength and conditioning coach. Then when we moved down to Carolina, Paul Maurice, who just coached his 1500 game in the NHL asked me to come down, not only as the head trainer, but also the strength and conditioning coach. So for 21, 21 years, I ran both of those things. And I got to be honest with you, uh, I don't know how I did it either, to be honest with you. But, it, you know, the strength and conditioning component uh, of ice hockey really is important, I think, in the off season, You know, when you're playing three, four games a week, it's tissue regeneration, it's maintaining and things like that. Uh, so uh, I, we had clear lines that, you know, after games, you know where I'd find me. It would be in the weight room because it's kind of uh, the way I always thought of things is that if you could enhance your wellness and fitness, you would prevent injuries. And, I'll, I, and I think that that would stand the test of time. So that's where my emphasis was after games. But you know, um, unless there was a catastrophic injury or something like that, I couldn't wait. But, you, you know, you had to uh, prioritize and you had to make sure that the, the times were set out, like when the athletes were going to be in the gym, when you were going to be available in the training room and things like that. So a lot of times, as you know, after hockey games, you know, you're, you're doing a quick assessment, but you're going to see those boys back the very next morning. So what you want to do is to get them on, you know, ice, you know, pressure, uh, elevation, uh, you know, uh, 
wraps, support things. If they need any type of medication or diagnostic stuff, you know, you get that stuff done quickly. But other, uh, the most important thing is, you know, the 19 other people that you're taking care of or 20, uh, if it's not a hard game uh, sort of thing, to work those out guys for 15, 20 minutes. So uh, I don't know. We did go on to win a Stanley Cup, one Stanley Cup. We did go to two uh, 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 finals sort of thing. So it did work. And I think, Scott, maybe you wouldn't agree with this, but a lot of times it's getting better all always. But, um, you know, that medical model and the performance model. And a lot of times you have strength coaches that are just on the performance side and they don't know anything about the medical side. So sometimes when you have one person or two people, that, that that's ideal, obviously, more the better. But um, there was no arguing about the medical and performance model because I controlled both of them. Uh, so I was pretty pleased with being able to do that. And then um, I had the passion for both of them. Like, you, as you know, and I haven't been to one of your courses, and, and that's one of, on my bucket list to get to one of your courses but you know you got to be able to assess in the training like doing like a lot of times when you're looking at a guy doing an olympic lift or whatever type of lift in there are you looking at the slides you know uh of the joints and where they're actually breaking down it's more than just doing a screen on the guys you know what i mean so i feel like my skills uh, as an athletic trainer really carry over well into the weight room and you know the old uh, saying about the first do no harm. Uh, I'm really into that sort of thing. And a lot of times I think we bring a lot of problems onto ourselves, but uh, you know, for the most part of my career, it, it worked out well. Yeah. Well, I mean, we've always enjoyed each other's company. I think we have, uh, you know, very similar belief systems. You were certainly an uh, impacting person and me and seeing you do both really well. And the fact you, you were kind of ahead of your time in the sense that you, you understood the nature and value of both propositions and sort of owning and understanding them, um, you know, together instead of fighting two different personalities in some sense. So, um, you know, I really respect that in you. Um, what was, what was the hardest thing about your journey through the NHL and what was the um, most rewarding thing about it? Well, uh, I don't know. Uh, I've, I've had people uh, pass on me, like uh, pass away. That's kind of the toughest thing. You know, back in the old days, you got to be really good friends. And I, I lost a really good friend and colleague. Uh, I don't know what else you can call him, uh, Steve Chason. And that was one of the toughest things because his kids were the same age as my kids and uh, stuff. And without a question, that was the, the toughest thing. Seeing some catastrophic injuries, hockey, uh, you know, people breaking their necks and stuff and lacerating femoral arteries and stuff. That's really tough stuff. And you wonder why the heck they're doing that type of stuff, you know, the, um, but, uh, uh, you know, the long time away from your family and missing birthday parties and funerals and weddings because you're, you're at games and stuff like that. And, uh, that, that you never get that stuff back. You know what I mean? And, uh, I'm not saying boohoo, but you know, that, that those are the toughest parts with the profession because as you get older, you realize how important those those um, family times are that you just weren't accountable for. But um, with that said, though, uh, I, I got to raise three kids in the NHL uh, through my work. And they all went on to, to really good careers. Uh, I got to um, – I remember when we won the Stanley Cup, my uh, oldest, who's now doing kind of stuff like we are uh, in Colorado, but uh, Andrew Ladd handed him the Stanley Cup on the ice. Now, I'll tell you something, you know how that Visa credit card, you know, that's priceless. Uh, when I got to see my son uh, hoist uh, the Stanley Cup above his head on the ice surface uh, the day we won the cup, 
Uh, I still, that still brings goosebumps. That still brings the limbic center into my brain. You know what I mean? Um, my, my other kids all love the game of ice hockey way more than I did and were supportive. And so uh, they got opportunities that other kids wouldn't have gotten uh, because of that involvement. And I think that those, those are the ones that, that's the thing that really stands out for me. Those two. I was going to ask you about the cup and jab you a little bit because the year you guys won the cup was the year that uh, I thought we had our our best team in in Montreal to possibly do it. And if you remember that uh, second round where we got up ahead of you by a couple of games and then uh, was it Williams or something stuck a stick in Saku's eye and he was out for the rest of the uh, the um, the the the, the round and you guys came back and won it in seven games <laughs> and then you went and won the Stanley Cup. So. <laughs> that was a crazy year. I, I didn't bring that up to rub it in. <laughs> I didn't bring it up to rub it up, Scott, honestly. Yeah. I know you That know. was a magical year. No, it was us. fantastic. Uh, we we sailed through. Yeah. We yes. sailed through it, honestly. Buffalo, uh, we got by Buffalo. They had so many injuries on their D. You know what I mean? We were lucky. We were healthy. We were fit. Hey, just going back to one other question you asked. Who, is that oh, when I was the strength, when I first became the strength coach, one thing that I had was tremendous leadership in, in my uh, uh, room. Uh, I had guys like Keith Primo, uh, and I don't know if you know Keith very well, but I'm not trying to be a name dropper, but that guy was fit. Like he worked all the time. I had a guy, and you know Gary Roberts. I'll tell you, those guys, you know, if anybody slopped around and didn't take care of themselves, I had those two guys in there. And then, then if I wanted to t- deal on the cards a little bit more, I got this name, Rod Brindamore. My God, I'll tell you something. I should have gave him my check for being the strength and conditioning coach because, to be honest with you, I just had to tell him we're doing something, and he got everybody behind. You know, that's the kind of leadership that I was blessed with. And, you know, I don't think that we ever were a really talented team, but a number of years, I could tell you we were the hardest working team in the NHL, which made my job as a strength and conditioning coach just, uh, you know, a godsend. To be honest with you, I was very blessed by having certain people. And as you know, you gravitate to those people in the room and uh, the, the other people will fall, to be honest with you. So that's another reason why I could do both those jobs well, or I think better than, than yeah. what I could without them. Um, comment a little bit um, about, you know, the grind of the NHL playoffs. I think people don't always understand how banged up a team is like I was talking to Reg Grant the other day about you know what went into and how difficult it was to go to the finals and not win and stuff and you know he talked about what guys have to put into and the investment into it and I'm just curious to hear your viewpoint on you know I think people don't always understand how how banged up everybody really is Oh, right. Actually, and that's one of the most thrilling things, you, you know, like lifting the cup up, that's fun and stuff like that. But that's, that's gone. But what you don't, uh, you never forget, and you remember them all the time, are, are the trials and you know, the, the how it's the hardest championship to win. Let, let's face it, who would have ever thought to, you know, play those four rounds, travel from coast to coast, and it's a body contact sport. You see, you're tired. Your end of a, uh, and, and each series gets harder and harder. There's more on the line sort of thing. It is truly uh, amazing feat. And when you actually get to see it from the training room out, that's even more exciting. And then, and then I'm just, then you know how to train a hockey player. I'm just saying, if you've seen what they've gone through, because it's not just, you know, the physical, you know, being able to have the high MBO2 and stuff like that. It's the mental tenacity, uh, to be honest with you. That uh, that you have to go through. I remember, uh, you know, I'm gonna 
tell you a quick story. Can I tell you a quick story? Yeah, well, that's what we're here for. It, you know, I, I had this athlete. We were doing pretty good that particular year, but uh, near the, you know, when the trade deadlines were coming up, we got this guy, and his name was Dougie Waite. Now, Dougie Waite was, you know, he was in Edmonton when I was in Edmonton. I didn't really know him, but I got to watch him fast player, but we picked him up. Anyways, we're, uh, I think it was the first game against the Edmonton Oilers. He uh, gets hit by two people, and he has a, a grade three AC separation. I mean, this is an acute AC separation. It was bad. And I think, oh, shit, I'm seven games away from winning the Stanley Cup. We just lost Dougie Waite. Dougie was never won a Stanley Cup either. So, he, but the point being is that this guy was, a, he comes into the room afterwards or, or during the game, uh, and, you know, we'd look at it. And, and then as the fellows were coming off the ice, he says, Pete, I got to go into your office. I said, why do you want to go into my office? He says, I don't want to have any of those guys see me with a grade three, you know, and he's my shoulder because he was in a lot of pain. I don't want to take away from the, you know, the momentum this team's got going right now. Uh, well, that's pretty thoughtful of him because a lot of guys would have boohooed, you know, and got the sympathy vote from all the guys. He knew well enough to get the hell away from my players, our players, so that he wouldn't get the sympathy and the boys could keep their eyes on the prize sort of thing. He he, he was an outstanding athlete. He tried every day to the point when the seventh game uh, against uh, the Oilers, I remember this, he came down for morning practice. He came down for our morning skate, right? He gets his shoulder injected. He gets his shoulder injected just to go for the morning skate. And I said, why the heck are you doing that? He says, I don't want to have those guys think I'm not playing tonight. We all knew that this guy could not play that night, but he actually got it injected just so he looked good on the ice for a 20-minute skate about. So the Oilers think that we got Dougie Waite in the lineup again and miraculous things had happened. He doesn't. But the other thing is, too, he got it injected again later on that night so he could come down afterwards to hoist the cup above his head on the ice. And if you ever look at it, his right shoulder, his hand doesn't go above his shoulder because it's that. But that's the type of guts you need. Not only do you have to be fit, but, you know, those are the types of stories that last over and over again. You know, people and the sacrifice and the pain that they actually have to go through, you know, to get to the Stanley Cup because, you know, everybody's playing for keeps. You know, another, uh, we had a guy that earlier that year broke his neck and, uh, uh, he was leading scorer in the NHL, uh, at that particular year. And, uh, so he breaks his neck and he convalesces and next, you know, there was an outside chance that we played late into June. He could be on the, in the lineup. So he started skating quite hard at the beginning of May. Anyways, we had a huge meeting with him, uh, on, uh, uh in, uh, uh, the game, uh, five in Edmonton. Uh, we had, you know, the doctor, uh, Dr. Watkins, uh, from, uh, LA, on a conference call and we we brought our own doctor down from duke uh, to make a call on whether this guy plays or not and we had you know the athlete in there we had the coach in there we had uh, the our team doctor we, we had watkins and uh, uh everybody that was going to make a part of that decision we all decided um uh who's going to play so we had a vote and so everybody voted let's put him back on the ice game five it's going to be a, or game six it's going to be a hell of, heck of a motivator for all the boys to see uh, this athlete back on because he was leading score. The only guy that put up his head and was said the nays, it was me. I said, I don't want this guy back on the ice. Absolutely not. <laughs> what I learned from that is that the trainer is only one part of the sports medicine team, you know, and it's a small part. It's an important part, but it's only a small part. Anyways, I was walking out with Pete Laviolette and he says, Pete, I understand your fears about this, but I got to write that card right on that card and on who's the lineup card, who's going to be in and we're putting them in tonight. And so game starts, 
Eric's on the start. Oh, I shouldn't mention, but it, the, he also knows that I tell this story often, but <clears throat> he gets rocked the first, right by the boards. He gets just slammed into the boards and I, oh, I just wet myself. And anyways, <laughs> Eric gets up and I hear him telling the other players that, hey, you're going to have to hit me a lot harder than that if you want me out of this game. Anyways, I don't know if you had a great game, great game six, great seven, but he was on the ice one in the Stanley Cup sort of thing. But um, th- those are the types of things what people will play with. You know what I mean? The challenges they will, but um, also maintaining that fitness for, you know, six weeks or eight weeks, you know, however long that the playoffs take. It's, it's a challenge. And it's also just one of the things I don't think the fans ever get to see really appreciate unless you're in the dressing room. Sorry, that's a long-winded uh, uh, story there. I apologize. No, no worries. That's great. That's what uh, we're here for. Um, without trying to dig up uh, sort of uh, or dig in wounds with you, but I think it's very valuable to understand, you know, you, you, I think you, you had that career a bit taken away from you because of the politics and the nature of the game. And, you know, how did you, how did you deal with that in, internally? And, and what was the, what was the aftermath of that for you? Was it challenging for, to you? still remains a challenge, you know, and all I can tell you, you know, they say, don't make your job, your identity. And I can vouch for that a hundred percent, because as you know, like if you're a strength coach or, or, or uh, the athletic trainer, you're working different parts of the year. You're working pretty hard, right? And as both, you work hard all year round, like 365, you're entertaining phone calls or whatever. So it was a big part of my life. And then you're right. Uh, I, I know, uh, um, reason to, uh, to, but I, I was still getting better. I thought, uh, I just finished my doctorate two years before board certified in both athletic or sports and that. But anyways, um, the, the team elected to go into a new direction. And so, um, all I can tell you, if any of the listeners out there is that, you know, really don't ever, I, your job isn't you, who you are, uh, sort of thing. But, um, you know, uh, like, honestly, I work every weekend. You know, that was my job. I, I was at hockey rinks and, or doing talks or whatever. Then the, that just be taken away from you in, uh, you know, like a matter of less than a five-minute conversation. Um, it it, it t- takes a long time to get over, to uh, be honest. I don't know if I'm over it yet, but I have found ways to challenge my uh, energies and uh, interests and stuff like that. Like in two weeks, I'm going to Krasnoyarsk, uh, Russia uh, for the Student World Games and uh, the end of uh, uh, February or beginning of April, I'm going to Finland uh, with the women's hockey team and stuff like that. So there's other opportunities, you know what I mean, uh, for that. And I, I worked in NCAA last year, uh, sort of thing. So I'm finding ways it's different, but you know, it was part of your life. Like, you know, I, I think everybody has a tough time with that. You know what I mean? And uh, all I can say is that, um, and it's unfortunate too, which I think is going to revert, but I, I think the old values, you know, like loyalty, uh, you know, uh, just uh, uh, things like that that you want to build on, they're not really emphasized anymore uh, sort of thing. It's truly unfortunate, I think. But I think they're coming back. Uh, you know what I mean? Great organizations, I think, do take care of that. Uh, but, uh, yeah, it, that, it's still a hot spot. Or it hurts, to be honest with you. Yeah. Uh, but anyways, keep moving on. <laughs> well, I wanted to play off of that into the fact that you are a dad and you've been uh, a successful dad and you – um, are very proud of your kids. What changed for you when you became a dad? And, you know, how perhaps in in this loss of this, uh, you know, w- what was uh, an identity piece in your life, how has that sort of reconnected you perhaps with your kids in some way? Yeah, uh, 
Oh, Tess, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm very proud of my kids. Uh, to be honest with you, they're, they're very academic. They're hardworking. Uh, things like, um, and that's why, looking back, I wish I would have spent more time with them. You know, what I mean, and uh, like I enjoy them now, but uh, I miss a lot of the things that I, you know, like their hockey games. You know, what I mean, or their dance recitals and stuff like that. Uh, I, but uh, I'll tell you something. What, what the biggest thing that I've gotten, uh, I don't know what I've given them. You know, I mean, uh, I'd like to tell you I gave them their work ethic or, I, I, you know, their academics or something, but I haven't. They had to do that themselves uh, because if I take credit for that, I'd also have to take credit for all the bad things that happen. And I don't do either uh, sort of thing. It's always the athlete uh, focus on you can maybe educate them, but if they're not willing to. But uh, what I really have found uh, uh, helpful over the last two years, year and a half right now, is that they've helped me try to get through this trouble time. Uh, sort of thing they they you know they know that uh how much that meant to me and so uh i've just been thankful that they were there for me uh you know what i mean uh right from uh uh you know taking me you know spending time with me because who wants to spend time with an old fella you know what i mean and their dad but they they did go out of their way to to really support me and uh sort of i don't know uh just uh show me the bigger picture thing so uh i've been very blessed uh, uh with that as well so um i'm glad i had three of them <laughs> <laughs> who who inspires you in in the world now in terms of you reaching higher as a professional or as a practitioner is there is there are there people you look up to or look towards for for your for where you're headed now professionally you know buddy uh i'm always uh i'm searching out mentors uh, to be honest with you uh, and, uh, if you know of anybody I should be contacting, you let me know because I'll phone them up tomorrow or tonight, uh, sort of thing, because I think mentors are huge. And honestly, Scott, you, you played a large part in my life too, because I've always searched out my mentors, even coming up to uh, spend time with you in, in Montreal to get prepared for my, uh, 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 CETA certification. I think that that's a, uh, a relationship that I continue to this day. So with all my mentors, I try to keep up with them. I am developing new ones. Uh, uh, Blaze Williams, who's uh, one of the, uh, he works right now for uh, Nike and he, he trains all their elite, uh, writes their programming and things like that. Uh, he He's uh, one of my uh, um, mentors. Uh, just people throughout uh, there, I've got, that's why I also like to teach at these different physical therapy schools because I get access to their doctors. You know, Dr. Brian Kelly up in New York, uh, I, I I reach out to him whenever I have a hip issue. Again, one of the nice things of, with the format of being in the NHL, it's opened up a lot of doors. Uh, Dr. Philippon out in uh, uh, Vail, you know, having good relationships with these people are, are kind of exciting because, you know, it, you can get the latest and greatest from those people and they come back. But my greatest source for mentors right now, I'm going to be honest with you, is the students. Because, you, you know, students, today's students, when they reach, like I go and do a guest lecture, I, I teach a course, and do, but when those kids come and uh, approach you after hours and they want to know more, you know, within a year or two, these guys are going to be doers, you know, they're going to be moving the professional along sort of thing. So that's where I get most of my mentors now. I'm, well, as you know, only uh, guys our age are starting to die. Uh, sort of thing. So I got to start going into the younger pool. And that's where I'm picking up some of my, my passion, my enthusiasm by going to these classes. And then these students will seek you out if they're good to be, you know, mentored. But I think real mentorship is an exchange of wisdom. It's not a one way street. And then you're successful. And that's where I'm getting most of my, my mentors now. Uh, yeah. 
That's if, you were, if you were giving a young person advice on how to craft their pathway professionally, um, wanting to go into this or anything else that they're passionate about, what would, what would be your one piece of advice? Uh, I'll tell you, well, I, I'm not going to put an age on it, but there is no question. Uh, this is what I did. And so times are changing, but I went out of my way to find mentors. And like whether it even be moving from Saskatoon, which is a nice place to Glen stay there so I could spend more time <clears throat> with Dave Reed and Dave McGee. Or, uh, you know, going, you know, traveling up to see, you know, uh, Scotty Livingston, you know, I mean, you got to go out and find your mentors and it might cost you money right now, but in the long run, you're going to make connections, you're going to network and you're going to get better. And that's what my advice is to a young person or an old person, anybody that wants to keep, you know, passionate about what they're doing. Because if you don't, if you don't change, you don't keep changing. I think you die. Uh, sort of thing and, and nobody wants to really be around it you got to come to the all the time with that passion enthusiasm and what spurns out on is getting new wisdom and new knowledge I, I, I get the impression that you're pretty satisfied for with the career that you've had w would you do anything differently if you could do anything differently I don't know I'd like to be uh you know honestly I, I would have liked to have seen what would have happened if I would have stayed at the U of A to be honest with you, because, you know, you and I, that's how we met on that lecture secret, uh, circuit. And it was a small group of us, right, uh, traveling throughout Canada doing those lectures. Uh, and, and I had such a wide, vast experience from field hockey to, you know, ice hockey to figure skating. It was all, you know, there's certain areas, soccer. Uh, I would have liked to have seen what would have happened there, but no regrets. I, I, I still, you know, I got to meet some great human beings, uh, to be honest with you. I've got to meet some you know, that are passionate about the area. Uh, so, um, you know, I, I, I really don't think there's any regrets right now, uh, to be honest. Even right now, I'm really, I think, I'm, you know, I, I get to travel all over the place right now. Uh, I get to meet young people. You know, like, I think, honestly, women's hockey is on the cusp of greatness uh, right now because, you know, like even, you know, Kendall Coyne uh, working uh, at the skills competition, the NHL, they're really, and the, the, the they're great athletes to work with. They're hardworking. Uh, it's really an underserved population uh, sort of thing. And I, I just see hopefully that league, those two professional leagues can combine and that they do something really special with it. Because I think that, you know, women have been neglected long enough and it's about time that they're starting to get some reap some of the money financially as well as, uh, you know, uh, popularity. Cool. Yeah, no, no regrets. If you ran into your 21-year-old self, exuberant 21-year-old self uh, tomorrow um, in the hallway, what would you say to him? Uh, yeah, I don't know. I'm not, well, I would have said do some more push-ups on a regular basis. <laughs> uh, you know, uh, you know, probably, uh, honestly, I, I don't think my passion or enthusiasm would have waned. Like I was, I've been always excited about what I've done. At least that's what people tell me. I think it's just natural for me, but uh, I, I honestly, uh, I love what I do. Uh, I, I would have said take better care of yourself, though. Uh, seriously, like uh, we know a lot of times trainers, they know stuff, but, you know, they'll still spend you know, way too many hours doing things for other people. It's nothing wrong with that, but you, you, you got to really learn balance. And I, I, for a lot of my life, not maybe even now, I don't have a lot of balance. You know what I mean? It's uh, you get up in the morning, you start reading articles till you go to work and then you come home and uh, you try and freshen up on some more uh, sort of thing. That's what I do. But now it's a habit. And so it's that maybe it's pathetic to a lot of people. But uh, I wish I would have taken better care of myself. That's what I would have said to my 21 year old self.
I I do a little piece in my uh, podcast where I have a book called The Day You Were Born that I read people's purpose from. It's a mix of numerology and astrology. So I'm going to read your purpose. You're August 8th, right? Was your birthday? That's correct. That's right. So your purpose is to strive for balance by achieving success in the world without having to sacrifice faith and love, to use your position and your talent to help others find that balance and to transcend all limitations through the surrender and alignment of your will to his. The trouble with most of us is that we would rather be ruined by praise than saved by criticism. Norman Vincent Peale. Leo 8s receive a lot of criticism, most of it from themselves. Saturn creates boundaries and limits. The spirit of the sun, unable to go forward, turns within, bringing self-analysis and resulting tension and anxiety. Leo 8s should remember they don't have to struggle quite so hard to grow. They need to accept their fate and use their faith to transcend it. Without faith, they can become lost in tension trying to turn themselves into the perfect being throughout the discovery of everything that is wrong. The Leo H should pick a profession that provides a positive place to express anxiety. They might become a rock star like Mick Jagger or an award-winning ice skater like Dorothy Hamill. The Leo side of them needs to have a good time, so they must take themselves less seriously. Early in life, Leo H probably felt ugly or unwanted. Their environment put great demands on acting appropriately, and, and so shyness, self-deprecation, and judgment grew. But Leo H's have power and a talent for understanding what makes them and others tick. Wow. That's pretty powerful, Scotty. <laughs> it's interesting. Yeah, I re- A lot of times people go, whoa, holy cow, that's, uh, that's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> that's almost what I reiterated what I said to you. Yeah. Wow. <laughs> so you're living your spirit, my friend. That's good stuff. I will finish with uh, my last question, which I ask everybody. You're going to perish from this world at some point, hopefully not for a very long time. What do you hope people remember you for? Or how do you feel? hope you are remembered? You know, uh, I j- today I went up to the University of Saskatchewan and uh, – uh, I, nobody's there that I, were my students anymore. The last uh, girl just moved on to, um, uh, a clinic here in town, but, uh, uh, they all said, Oh yeah, I remember you, or I, I've heard of you sort of thing. And that, that's interesting. And I've also talked to old and, uh, talked to, you know, athletes. I said, do, do you remember 83 world championships? And, uh, I, I said, what, what do you remember about me? And they didn't tell me that, well, I really did a good massage or I knew how to mobilize a joint or tape an ankle or a groin or something like that or an exercise. All they can remember me as is that, boy, were you excited and passionate about what you did. And you know what? Uh, That's all I care about. You know, like, Scotty, if you think of me 10 years from now and you say, that guy was fired up and passionate about what he does, that's all I care about. You know what I mean? Because that's really, I think, the true essence uh, of what I want to bring. You know, I, I, I do want to fulfill that with some knowledge and wisdom. But you know what? I just want people to know that, you know, this is really worthwhile and worth living and worth doing well. And that, that this guy was passionate about what he did. So, yeah, that's it. That's what I, I and that's what I think I, I'm accomplishing. I think you're accomplishing that, Pete. I think you're doing really well with that, buddy. So it's always been a pleasure to know you and an honor to know you. So thanks for taking an hour and hanging with me. And uh, hopefully we do it again sometime soon uh, in person. Yeah, I I honestly hope our our paths cross a little further down the way. That's for sure. All right, Peter. Have a good day, buddy. Okay. Thanks, Scotty. Bye. Thanks for joining us today on Leave Your Mark. I hope we've left a mark on you today. 
and we wish only that you pay it forward by sharing this story, taking the time to rate and comment on this podcast. Please follow us at Twitter at Built by Scott and Instagram at King O'Payne and become a member of this community at Scott G. Livingston on Facebook. Have a great day. Music by Cedric de Saint-Rome.